We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Irish Blood said, says this, Ryan. I'm going to ask you this. Favorite sport to play and watch other than football? So that's kind of two questions, Ryan. What What is I, yours? I was like playing basketball growing up. I was I was actually I, I was actually pretty good at basketball at one point. I could shoot a little bit. And I mean, me and my buddies would just, you know, we didn't watch. I, <laughs> I feel like it's changed so quick. I'm about to do like a grandpa thing. But like, oh, man, we, we didn't watch TV growing up, you know, like, but like, honestly, like we were always out playing something like we would go up to this park named Aces near my house, like every almost every day and just play, pick a basketball and, you know, just play for hours, you know, so basketball was definitely number one watching. See, when I when I was young, I used to like to watch baseball a ton when I was younger, and then I lost my love for it pretty quickly into my like my teenage years. So basketball is probably my answer for both. Honestly, I think basketball is very exciting to watch and play. As a kid, uh, favorite sport to watch, I was big NBA and baseball. As I got older, I stopped watching baseball as much. I mean, excuse me, basketball as much. But, I mean, I was a child of the 80s in basketball. And whether it was – I mean, every Saturday you'd have a doubleheader and almost every Saturday it was a Celtics game early and a Lakers game night, and I was watching both of them, you know. Uh, as I got older, it, it, you know what it is? The Piston era of basketball just I hated, and I kind of stopped watching around then. And then the Bulls were just so dominant that it made the league not fun unless you were a Bulls fan, and I wasn't. I was a Celtics fan. So I just kind of stopped watching then. And, I, and I forgot you were a Celtics fan. Yeah, just never got back into it. Uh, I watched a little bit more – I watched a little bit more basketball the, the year that that uh, Paul Pierce and Ray Allen and, and Kevin Garnett were on team. I enjoyed watching that team, but I just, I just didn't enjoy the game as much anymore. Love college basketball. Uh, but uh, I, I was a baseball guy up until about – four or five years ago. And I just kind of, the game just kind of got a little bit, the whole analytics thing of <laughs> walk, strikeout, home run, just kind of lost it for me. I think Rob Manfred is a God awful commissioner. Just yes, he's awful. He's awful. like, if, if you'd have told play, me that the players would also agree with you that yeah, he's an awful. if you'd have told me that Roger Goodell and Adam Silver conspired to put someone in, in, in that job to ruin baseball, I'd have said, I can't, I mean, what would he have done different? You know, and then there was some other stuff that happened in the last three years. It just was like, okay, I'm done. 
but I just I just don't enjoy the game anymore, to be honest with you. So, um, but I was a big base. Baseball was a sport I loved to play growing up. I was actually baseball was my best sport. Mm-hmm. As a kid, I loved playing baseball. I enjoyed playing basketball, but I liked playing basketball more just in the neighborhood than I did playing organized basketball. Sure, um, I, I didn't like plays, and I just just give me the ball and let's go have some fun. You know that that was kind of it. And I'll tell you another: if you do you consider bowling a sport? Because I was a really good bowler when I was a kid. <sighs> Nuance so that I was all man. city when I was in the seventh and eighth grade. So, You're all city, huh? Yeah, yeah. You have a plot? That was with we were on a um. I, I maybe I don't know. My mom had all that <laughs> stuff, but I was the only middle school kid on the because uh, the all city team. There's a tournament at the end of all the different leagues. The leagues were basically the the alleys, you know, the the, mm-hmm. the bowling alleys. And I was only I think it was only only middle middle schooler on that. So I I haven't I didn't I stopped bowling after the eighth grade. I joined a league with my wife and my in-laws when we lived in Colorado yeah. and I sucked at first, but like I had over 200 average the last maybe month. I actually got close to kind of close to 300 once. Uh, I just didn't bowl enough to have more, but I actually, sh- I was uh, perfect going into the 10th. I wasn't really paying attention. And then I looked up and I was like, dude, I, I got a shot for 300. I think I've told the story before. So when I went up to the lane that next time I was like, Jittery. yeah. <laughs> I didn't hit the head pin on either shot. I went six zero, bowled a two sixty six. I was so disappointed in myself, but yeah. One uh, one one of my friends growing up, he was a really good bowler in high school. He, I think he had like a two thirty something average in That's high school really as a bowler. Yes, yeah, so he was really very good. good, but he could never get a three hundred until we were like in our. I think he was like twenty four when he has okay. first one, and then he got like eleven in like two yeah. years, something like that. Like a professional bowler. No, like no, those numbers you'd think he'd be a pro bowler, man. Those are insane he, numbers. Nah, he um, nah, he just he just kind of messes around with it now. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Not professional, but, but I don't know if I'd call that a sport or not. So somebody asked if I, I bowled uh, 20th Century. I bowled at Morio's is where I bowled. Now 20th Century is is one of the places where the the league turn like so the the way the the tournament was is they would have different rounds at the different alleys. So there was like Northland and Morio's. 20th Century was one. I was, for whatever reason, 20th Century was the biggest alley in Lima. I was never very good there. Mm-hmm. I was good at Northland and at Morio's and places like that. I'm, there was another alley, and I can't remember where it was. But, yeah, I, I my league wasn't at, at 20th Century. So, yeah. I, I was also a really good discus thrower in track and field in high school. Yes, I never did, counts. never did any of those. Yeah, yeah, I never did any of those. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate – isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? 
Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. So here we go. Here, here's here's another one. So here's from Benjamin Karchi. Here we go. Karchi, Benjamin Karchi. I have always wondered how many reads does a college quarterback um, have on a given play or does it depend on the play call? Depends, depends on the play on call. The play call. Yeah. And, and there's there's always a pre-snap read, almost always, unless the coach, you know, there's signals you can give to, hey, we're locking this in, right? I want to run this no matter what. Well, you know, like even with our quarterback, we when we ran inside outside zone, we would always have a check option, you know, yeah. depending on the inside. Some some inside zone you want to run to the tight technique, some inside zone you want to run away from the tight technique. It just depends on, you know, what type of inside zone you're running. Like we when I was at uh, Muhlenberg, we always wanted to run to the tight technique because we were an, an under center downhill, just like a gap inside zone. So it was like open cross, get downhill. Mm-hmm. Other ones are, they call inside zone is almost like a mid zone. And so they want to run it away from the tight techniques, so then cut back behind the tight technique. Yep. It just depends on what type you run, but there's always, so, but the point is you, you'll check, you know, if you're running outside zone, there's certain checks you'll have to check which way you're going. You know, so you can give an east-west call, you know, Ringo, Lucky, whatever the, the call may be to say, hey, where we're going to go with the ball. And then, of course, there's there's reads, post-snap reads and all types of stuff. It just depends on the call. There's, there's also some some teams that kind of do a little bit more of half-field reads versus full-field sure. reads, which will limit how many reads you're making, all that type of stuff. I mean, that's what a tight so. technique was. I'm sorry. So a tight technique in this instance is the A-gap player. Mm-hmm. So the t- tight to the center is what that meant. The tight technique yeah. to the center. So if you're in a, a, a alignment where there is a guy in a three technique, which three technique is the outside shoulder of the guard. Yeah. And then the, the guy on the other side was a, a one technique, which is inside shoulder of the guard or a shade or, you know, nose that would be considered the tight technique. So it was the guy that was closest to the center. Yeah. Essentially is what it and, was. And, and usually to the strength call, you usually teams just run the 31 front if they're running a four three. So there'll be mm-hmm. a th- the three tech to the strong side and then the one tech to right. the weak side. Just and we'd way. face some teams that did under, which would be yeah. flipped. And I then we the we faced a couple teams that would go double threes and they would have stack backers because then they could and they were never good. They were just trying to be I was about to say, yeah, I don't like that at all. They yeah. wouldn't stay in double threes. I mean, one guy'd yeah. slant inside, but it is like sure. dude, you're this isn't having the effect you think it's having, but that would make some of our checks a little bit. Okay. We had to change our checks because there was no tight techniques. You just look at, you know, backers or where your tight end was or whatever the case may be and just go from there. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we played a, we played a five man front when I was in high school a lot. We played almost just like a 50, like a five, two. And um, we used to run a lot of 22 a lot because we slanted a ton because we were undersized yeah. and all that good stuff too. Yep. So. All right. Let's get to some more here real quick. Let's uh, try to rock and roll through these, Ryan. 
AGM, Jim Beheim said yesterday that Mike Bray has done about as good as you're going to do at Notre Dame. I don't agree, do you? I, uh, the first, I mean, first 15 years of his career, I would have agreed with that, yes. Yeah. The last part of his career, I don't agree with that. Like, especially the era in which, I mean, because Jim Beheim knows what it takes to get best top players. Trust me, he knows. And it's not just his charm and recruiting skills, but... When you look at Mike Bray's, I mean, I would say four, five, six, seven, they were, what, 13 years in the Big East, and then the, the first really four years in the ACC, they were really good in three of those four years. Mm-hmm. So I'd say the first 17 years, yeah, you're not going to get much better than that. I mean, in the 13 years in the Big East, and remember at the time, the Big East was really good. Uh, you know, in those 13 years, they had 10 years of 20 or more wins. You know, so I never won the Big East. But do, do you remember how good the Big East was back then and how deep the Big East was? I remember one year, like, UConn won the title with Kemba Walker, and they didn't yes. win the, I don't think they won the Big East that year either. They they you were know? that great of a regular season team that year. They just got super yeah. hot in the, in the tournament, right. I remember that year. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so um, – but, I mean, they were always competitive. Always had good teams. You know, he had that niche that he was good at. You know, when he was in the Big East, they, they made the NCAA tournament nine out of 14 years, and – went to an NIC semifinal one year, and then they had the two Elite Eight teams. I don't know if you're going to get do much better than that at basketball in the era that he coached. Now, I will say this. If Notre Dame wants to be good at basketball, they could – I'll say this. NIL is bad for college football the way it's being implemented. Yeah. But if, it, if it's implemented correctly, it'll have a good impact for football, but it'll have a phenomenal impact for basketball. Because what you're going to have is if they do it right, you're going to start seeing some of these kids that are leaving as freshmen now but don't have the game. They're going to get drafted in the top 15, but they don't have the game for the NBA yet. And so like a Blake Wesley, for example, if NIL be, is regulated the way it's supposed to, you're going to see teams that are going to say, I just got to buy one basketball player. So we're going to come up with some deal and get Blake Wesley $5 million bucks to stay a second year or a third year to, to, to whatever. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You know, if 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 whoever Notre Dame's shoe team is wants to say, hey, we're going to give you $10 million a year in NIL money for your basketball players, okay. Yeah. that That's name, image, and likeness. What are they doing? We want to put our brand on this kid. We represent your school. It's in our best interest for your basketball team to be as good as possible because that's good for us business-wise. That's what NIL is supposed to be about, in my opinion, right? And so, but be above board with it. Don't use it as enticement to get kids, but you'll know, hey, Notre Dame hands out some money and it'll it'll be good for the sport as well. And I think that's where you could maybe get a, a few more J.J. Starlings who are also kids that, you know, care kind of about some things beyond just going to a place that's going to be a five star, you know, that kind of thing. So I, I think to me, because uh, Logan Thayer just said something that I've said before about basketball. He says the Notre Dame degree pitch isn't a compelling for one and done hopefuls. And NIL exactly. could bridge that gap. And that's exactly what I'm talking about because NIL can, number one, a big-time kid will come there knowing he's going to get a payout from Nike or Under Armour or Adidas yeah. or whoever, number one. Number two, that money can also help you to keep a kid longer than you otherwise might keep him in school. Hey, do you want to go to the NBA and you're going to make this amount of money, but you're going to sit the bench and your game's not going to develop? Or do you want to stay with me for two more years? You're going to make 10 million bucks over the next two years because you're going to get this money for whatever. I'm going to develop your game. And then when you go to the NBA draft, you'll be picked around the same spot, but you're going to be so much more ready to then thrive and get to that second contract. Yep. 
I think you're going to see some of that happen. Not a ton, because some kids, some kids don't need to stay in college. I, this is what I hate about the NBA, the NBA rule about the draft. Why, why did Kevin Garnett need to go to college? He didn't. Kobe Bryant didn't need to go to college. LeBron James didn't need to go to college. They were ready for the NBA. So let those kids come. And then, like, to me, I, I wish, I wish the NBA had the same rules as baseball. If you if you go pro out of high school, you can go pro. If you go back to college, you gotta stay for three years. Yeah. Well, that makes a lot more sense now. This era of NIL, because these kids are gonna get compensated and and be taken care of to where if a their games don't pan out mm-hmm. or there's an injury, these kids are still gonna be okay. And I've said this before. Justin Ross is the poster boy for why I'm a supporter of NIL done right. Because that kid came to to Clemson, helped them win a title was phenomenal. He would have made a lot of money in a year or two in NIL. Then the injuries mm-hmm. happened, and he was never the same player. He no. couldn't go pro after his freshman year. Wasn't allowed. And and now he's, you know, what, did he did he make a practice? He made a practice squad roster this year, right, I think? I think did he, he even do have. that? Well, he, he got – He'll never be the guy he would have been, but he still would have been able to come away out of college with a degree from Clemson and a good chunk of change to start his life on. If football, yeah. if the pro thing doesn't work out, yeah, I forget, I forget what. So Justin Ross got signed by the Chiefs, I remember, and then I think he got hurt again. Like nothing serious, but like I think he got hurt in camp, and I don't know if he ended up making a roster. Well, he definitely didn't make a roster. I don't know if he made a practice squad though. It's just it is a really sad story though, man. It's so sad. That kid was. People don't understand how good Justin Ross was as a freshman, man. That kid was. Just dumb. Like I thought he was going to be the best receiver to come out in the draft in a couple years. Like I thought yeah. he was a for sure. He would have had a chance if it wasn't for the yeah. injuries. He was so good, yeah. man. Such a good player. All right, here we go. Let's got some more here from Tyler Binge. Last year, people said they would give a percentage of congratulations to Brian Kelly if the twenty-two team wins a national championship. This year, what percent to BK would you give if they win in twenty twenty-three? Zero. Zero. Yeah. Zero. Just because I'm just because I'm spiteful, but also no, it has nothing. It's it's what what would what would he have done to make this team a championship caliber football team in two, uh, two years removed from his tenure? That's a great point. Did he get Sam Hartman? Nope. Did he bring back Harry Heastan? Nope. You know, did did he all these things that you could look at and say he, he's not responsible for that? Mm-hmm. So no, I don't I don't give him credit for that. Sorry, I don't at all. Yeah, I'd had to give him some credit for this year's team. But I don't give him any credit for that. So sorry, he's two years removed. I'll give him credit for what happens at LSU this year. Yes. Yeah. So that's it. Okay, Grant Brian, toughest defense you faced while playing. Ryan, toughest offense you faced, college or high school? Well, I mean the 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 team that kicked my butt the most in it was in college. We played the College of New Jersey. And they, TCNJ, I mean, huh? just, yeah, just that my, day, man. My wife is place. a TCNJ grad. Yeah, TCNJ we played at their place and they kicked my butt, man. Like, and it was as AstroTurf, it hurt yeah. like heck. Um, <laughs> yeah, they were pretty good. They, I mean, we so Wesley was like a really highly ranked team the year I played, we played against them, but I kind of ripped them up a little bit. So we had a pretty good, I had a pretty good game that day. Uh, but, um, yeah, probably TCNJ. I mean, in high school we played some good defenses, but I mean they they were high school defenses, right? But yeah, best defensive player I ever played against was Dre Bly. I mean, I've said this before. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he's best defensive player I ever played against. I see. The, 
high school offenses, it, it's it's a tough one to say for a second because like the only team that I'm really thinking about is we played against a team called Palmyra, the Palmyra High School here in New Jersey. That they had a wide receiver named Karan Pratt when I was a. I think we were both. We may have been the same grade, but he ended up playing at Rutgers, and then he played. He played on. He was on the Eagles practice squad for like two or three years. They ran just like this college spread offense in high school, like where they were just better athletes than most of the team that I was on, right? Like they just were getting in space, and it was a headache because they they could all run. Like they, I mean, their running back was a all county, all South Jersey hurdler in the one ten high hurdles. They Karan Pratt to play in the in the and play in the NFL for a little bit. Like they were just, they were just that type of team. I think college wise, I mean, Salisbury and the triple options, not fun. Like it's not, Mm-mm. it's not fun. Wasn't fun to play it either for me. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I actually kind of enjoy playing against the triple options sometimes, but Salisbury, I mean, if anybody knows Salisbury, like they run it very, very well, which is why when, they've been successful. When would you, when time. did you play? How many years did you play at Frostburg? I only played it one year at Frostburg. So I was 2011, okay. 2011, 2011. Yeah. yeah. So that was after I coached against them, but mm-hmm. They had some athletes. Yep. I mean, they had some athletes in that. Now they which make what, which makes it even worse, man. Because you're yeah. like triple option is usually guys that aren't good athletes. So if you go put good athletes in a triple right. option, then it's like a headache. <laughs> like okay, yeah. Like when we when I coached against them, their running back was Byron Westbrook, uh, who was Ooh. Brian Westbrook's little brother. Yeah. And they had a quarterback named Dustin Johnson, who was a, I mean, he was a Division One caliber athlete. He just. I don't know what if he didn't have the grades or what, but he was really dynamic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, they had uh, they had some athletes, but they beat us in the in 05, They beat us in the regular season, but I told you this in 04, I coached at that place against them, and we put in work on them. So that was the one game all year where the head coach basically just said, "Whatever Driscoll tells me to do, I'm doing." <laughs> we put work on them, buddy. Beat them 35-24. So and when I was, was on the, Frost, sorry, guys, finish. Oh, no, it's all good. I was just going to say, when I was on Frostburg, we also weren't very good, and Salisbury was good. And yeah, it, no, Frostburg's good now. It's weird. Yeah, well, like when a, I played against Frostburg, now. the one year I started against Frostburg, they were really good, and we weren't. Yeah. But we played them in Raven Stadium, and the field was a mess because it was the year after they filmed the replacements on that field. Mm-hmm. And so they they scored late, and they were going to go kick the extra point to tie, mm-hmm. and we jumped off sides. And so they decided to go for two and got it. And then we got the ball back a couple minutes left, went down the field, completed a few passes. We got in field goal range, spiked the ball. And my, I think I've said this before, my roommate came on to kick it. And he, I mean, he, the kick, it was way worse than the kick from the Ohio state kid. Way worse. (laughs) So way worse. Uh, And we lost, but I had a pretty good game. I'm a pretty good game in that game against Frostburg state. So. I, I still have the highlights somewhere, but it's just it was it was the all twenty two version, so it's like way up there. Nice, you really can't see it, but yeah, we should have won that game. We should, it was kind of cool because there was a throw I made in that game where I, I threw it and I got hit in the chin as soon as I got through the ball. So I'm laying on my back, and it was a deep ball up the sideline. And so I'm looking, I'm looking at their crowd, our crowd, their crowd, our crowd. And then our crowd went crazy, and I was like, oh, either he threw a flag or the guy caught it because I didn't see it. I was laying on my back looking up, <laughs> you know, looking at the sky. So, but yeah, they they were a good team. They were a good team back then. Bobcat Pry, baby. Yeah, yeah, we should have beat them though. If we had a kicker that didn't choke 
Oh, Paul, you're killing me, dude. All right, here we go. <laughs> From Rip Rob Tidoff, Brian and Ryan, if the new men's basketball coach is between Shaka Smart or Thad Mata, who should be the choice? I don't follow other? either coach. Other? <laughs> Can I go yeah. other? Yeah. <laughs> I really haven't followed. I mean, so Shaka Smart used to be at VM. Uh, he was at, um, what you yeah. call it, VCU, he, right? This is at Marquette VCU? now, right? Yeah, I, I don't follow college basketball as much. I just follow what Notre Dame does when lost records, so. Yeah, he's at he's at Marquette now. So yeah. and he had, he he went he went to Texas and and didn't really do that great at Texas, mm-hmm. uh, and now he's at Marquette and you know he's he's okay. But he uh, was Thad at Mata's, VCU though, right? At one point, yeah, he was smart. He, yeah, yeah, they had yeah. that that great defense. They had that those that one semi. They made it to Final Four one year with him yes. as their head coach. But uh, no, I'd, I'd I'd pass on both. Honestly, I'd rather go with some young young up and comer. Some some you know. Give me Sean Sweeney. Give me Chris Quinn. One of those guys. Would much rather have one of those guys than a than a retread. To bring, be honest bring with some you. En- bring some energy into the yeah. Room, some recruiting bit, swagger. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, I think they need to do the NBA thing. I mean, because Chris Quinn's an yeah. NBA assistant. Sean Sweeney's an NBA assistant. So to me, I, I think that those kind of those are those are the kind of guys that I I would prefer to bring in or some some really good coach at a, at a smaller school and say, Hey, let's, let's go get those guys and, and, and have some success that that's kind of what I would rather see them do as opposed to, you know, bringing in a, you know, a, a an older retread kind of guy. I just, yeah, I just, I, I don't have any interest in, in that, to be honest with you. I, I think usually when you make a coach and change, you have to go kind of go the opposite, right? Like I, th- I think of Mike Bray was like the, veteran coach right like a little bit of an older guy i think going the opposite a little bit is i mean you still want to get a guy that's highly qualified obviously right. but like the, the young energy i think is what you're trying to bring into the room right now right agree and that's that's kind of to me where i where i would want to where i would want to go with it so yep yeah um yeah so that that'll it'll be interesting to see who they who they go after there yeah. we go for max Ott, got a max- question here Max, uh, who is your pick for the returners, kicking punt returner next year? Excuse me. I mean, so, so Brian, I mean, if, if kick returner this year, I mean, Jadarian Price was in the conversation a little bit before he got injured, right? Do you think that you, you chance that with him coming back from the injury? I guess that would be a starting point. I mean, but like the, if he's healthy to play, I'd, I'd definitely look at him back there. Yes. But I mean, Chris Tyree's coming back, so he's going to be in the kick return conversation. Well, what I've said is, what I would like to see happen is let Chris Tyree be more involved on offense. Mm-hmm. You know, getting eight to ten touches a game in the pass game, run game, things like that, and then let Jadarian Price or Jeremiah Love, like one of the younger backs that you want Jeremiah to get, Love would be a get back one. there. You know, yeah. uh, punt return. Jeremiah Love is also in that conversation. Look, I I would strongly consider one of the freshmen for that. Honestly, I'd give I'd give Jaden Greathouse a chance at that. Would be a guy. Can, that, Caleb Smith could return punts. That would too. be another one. We're talking yeah. about the high school version, not the yes. Virginia Tech version. <laughs> no. And there's a couple DBs who might not be bad punt returners. You know, Jaden Mickey was a pretty good punt returner in high school. You know, Benjamin Morrison was a pretty good punt returner. In high school. I don't know Bell. if I'd want to expose Benjamin Morrison to that. Michael yeah. Bell maybe. You know, yeah. he'd be one. Christian Gray maybe. I mean, there's there's plenty of options. It's just about finding the, the guy that you trust the most. Christian Gray was a sneaky good return man in high school yeah. that not many people talk about. And he's got an athletic profile that he could probably do it a little bit too. So, yeah. yeah. Patrick Tolan with a super chat says, Michael Lewis from Ball State to Notre Dame for men's basketball. Don't know a lot about him, so don't have an no. opinion on that one, but I'll trust you on that one. But that's a, you know, I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of, I'm going to look him up here real quick, but, you know, 
He's 45. He's been at Ball State okay. for this is his first year. He was an assistant at UCLA. They're 12 and 5 right now. He was at UCLA, Nebraska, Butler, Eastern Illinois as an assistant. He's only been head coach for one year. You know, I mean, okay. I don't know a lot about him, so I can't speak to it, whether good or bad. But I'd say if you're gonna hire a guy that's basically been an assistant, I'd rather bring in someone who's got a little bit more name recognition or you know, that bring in that swagger. But I mean, if the guy can coach, I don't bring in a guy that can coach at the end of the day. I mean, that's what really matters. A guy that can today, coach and recruit. That's what I want to see. Today I learned that Ball State has a basketball team. So oh, come on, go. man. You knew that. I'm just kidding. Team. I know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> that's so harsh. So harsh. Go Cardinals. You're baby. so mean. Yeah. You're so mean. Here's another. Here's some more. From ND Estimate Trucking LLC. Would you guys consider Holden Stace being closer to Alize Mack or Tommy Tremble? Do you see him being a legit contender to starts? Well, definitely on the last part, yes. I mean, yep. a contender to start it maybe this year, but definitely in years down the road. At, at least, at least in twelve personnel this year, yeah. like he'll definitely probably be in that conversation, right? As a so. football player, he's much yeah. more similar to Alize Mack. As a young man, I don't think he's a lot like Alize, which is a good thing. But as a football player, he's I think Alize Mack is a very good comparison in, yeah. in this instance. Because Al, Alize is a detached guy, right. more of a receiver. Could than a block blocker. on the edge, but wasn't yeah. a dom. He was a get in your way guy, effort guy. Yeah. But Tommy Tremble was a ferocious blocker and he was fast. Yeah. Holden's not fast like that. He's a good athlete, but he's not like a burner. He can run, but he's not like Tommy Tremble fast. Sure. So Alize is a very very good comparison, in my opinion. Tommy Tremble, more man. focus. I remember when Tommy Tremble came out of high school. I did not expect him to be the blocker that he yeah. became. Man, no. he knocked people out no. his last year. I thought year. he'd be a really good pass catcher, but yeah. not. Yeah, he was a great blocker yeah. at the end, man. That final year, he was putting dudes in body bags like he was. Yeah, yeah. Somebody just said Mott because I said I didn't want an older retread guy. That Rob Tedoff said Dad Mott is only fifty five. I'm like only fifty five, bro. That's not young. <laughs> that's and he's had some health issues, but he's a good basketball coach. That's the guy that was at Ohio State for a long time. Yes, Dad Mata. Yep. Just I'm I'm good. I'm yeah. good. I'm I'd rather fan. I'd rather see someone who's a, a a younger coach get that opportunity. That's just my my two cents. But again, if it's a guy that can coach and recruit, then that that's that's what I care about at this point. Yep. In time. From Blake Kajar, Kajar, it's Kajar is the best my best crack at it. Question, how do you see the safety position playing outside of the three returners? So those three returners we are talking about is Xavier Watts. We're talking about Ramon Henderson. And we're talking about DJ Brown. Uh, DJ Brown. Yeah. I, I mean, I mean, Brian, I mean, into the room, you're getting three freshmen coming in, right? And that's, I mean, they're going to be a part of the conversation. You have Ben Minich. You have... Don Schuler, who are both early enrollees as well, which will be, you know, putting themselves in the conversation. Brandon Hillman's not going to be here until June. So, but you do have two new safeties into the room that are going to be able to have a conversation into the, into the, into the piece, right? Because they'll Mm -hmm. be here in this, in winter, in the spring. I expect them to compete because they're both very competitive players, right? Do they crack into a two deep year one? I don't know. Other, but otherwise, I mean, you have to start thinking about is Clarence Lewis a safety option for the depth and the ability to that he has? Is Ryan Barnes an option? I mean, I feel like you almost have to consider one of those corners to go to safety unless you're really just happy with what you have with Schuler and Minich as early enrollees, right? Like, I mean, that's just kind of my initial thoughts. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I got nothing to add to that, Ryan. I mean, nail that. Let's get another one for Max Ott. Here we go. Under Armour contract expires soon. What brand would you like to see representing Notre Dame? Anybody but Nike. I, I don't. Yeah, I don't really have a, too much of a preference. Wherever they get the best deal, honestly. Like, yeah. Uh, what I would me. consider doing is I would. I actually like Under Armour's gear. From what I hear, though, the cleats aren't good. So I would maybe, hey, oh, you want to stay clack? with us. You don't like the click clack? Well, no, 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 not that. What I've heard is the quality of the cleats isn't good. Like there's some yeah. concern that that's part of the reason Notre Dame's had a lot of foot and Achilles injuries since since it, I don't know that. I'm just kind of – and I've yeah. heard that they, they're just not – the players don't really like the cleats. If I was Notre Dame, I'd say, hey, Under Armour, you want to stay with us, then you know maybe you give us a little less than than what you would – you know, if let's say Under Armour comes up with a – I don't know, like a $150 million offer or something like that. I'd say, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll drop that down to 120 and, and go get a not a shoe contract with somebody else and wear somebody else's cleats. I mean, I'd consider that, but I mean, that's a practical thing. I mean, you talk about the right. money, but it's, it's a practical thing. If the cleats aren't good and the players don't like the cleats, then you need to figure something out. Or you got to tell Under Armour, you, if you're gonna, if we're gonna sign with you, you need, we need to know that you're gonna invest X amount of dollars into R and D to figure out why your cleats are causing these problems, right? And to make a better cleat. So I don't know if that'll happen. I just, I've made my stance on Nike very clear, and it's not because I dislike Phil Knight. I dislike their business practices and the manner in which they make money and the people that they have to buy, uh, buy their shoes and the fact that they charge hundreds and hundreds of dollars to for sneakers and and take part in the business practices that they do to get the shoes made. I have a big problem with that. I, I did. I, I did like Nike yeah. cleats when I was playing though. They were, yeah. Nice. so did I, so did yeah. I, but at the time I didn't care about that stuff. I just cared about what sure. looked good and what felt good. And it was a quality cleat. That's all I cared about. Um, yep. As an adult, hopefully we all start taking a little bit more interest in things that impact our world a little bit more. And um, you know, using, yeah, we we'll won't get into that because we'll do politics, but yeah, I want no part <laughs> of Nike. I haven't bought a piece of Nike gear in a long time. And if Notre Dame goes to Nike, I won't be buying Notre Dame gear. I'm just some people, most people don't care. That's fine. I do. So anybody but Nike or any Jordan brand. What about Jordan brand? It's Nike. <laughs> it's still Nike. You know what I mean? Sure. That's a good point. Um, Jordan Schreiber. Here's one. Here's an Jordan Schreiber. One. I am grateful. CJ Williams did not commit to Notre Dame. Of course, that's former USC wide receiver that was once committed to Notre Dame. That is now at Wisconsin. Why do you think Notre Dame was pushing for him? I don't think that they were really. I mean, look, here's the reason they recruited him. They want another receiver numbers wise. And they're familiar with him and all that. Like they wanted another receiver. They did not ramp up like, oh my God, we want this kid so bad. They didn't. That There wasn't a push. And I, and I talked to some people that were in part of this and they're like, we didn't really, we didn't really, I mean, we like him, but it wasn't like a, let's beat down the door and beg him to come here thing. Right. So um, I personally am also glad that he didn't come. I think I've made that clear. I think it was a really good football player coming to high school. I just don't think the kids got the right mentality that I need as I've learned more about him and watched him play that I think is going to be successful for a team that wants to win a championship. So, and I, and, it's, uh, and I don't think he brings anything unique to your room. No, right, he, either, he so. brought more values if he designed last year than signing this year. Because this year you pretty much replaced him with even better prospects. I mean, that's the way I look at it. So, yep. Yep. Yeah. So here, here's here's one more, Ryan. I'll read for you since you're the NFL guy. Uh, Jordan Schreiber also says, what are your thoughts on Trevor Lawrence as a pro? What tier of quarterback do you think he'll end up? 
And does he have potential for Mahomes, Allen Tier? I think he does. I love watching Trevor play. What do you think? I mean, I mean, year one under Urban Meyer for the majority of the year. I mean, it was a train wreck, man. But it wasn't a train wreck because Trevor Lawrence isn't a sensational talent, right? It was a train wreck because he did not have the support staff around him, both from a playing perspective and from a coaching perspective, to be great. I think that you saw this year. I mean. He ended up on a tear at the end of the season. I think he threw 25 touchdowns, eight interceptions. So he had a really nice second year and really, I mean, massive improvements. He's so volatile, though, right, Jordan? Like, that's the biggest thing. I mean, you saw him in the wildcard game, throws four interceptions and a half. Can't happen. Can't happen, right? Second-year player, though, and he came back. And the biggest thing about Trevor Lawrence that I think separates him is it's not that he's 6'5", plus, that he has a strong arm, that he's a good athlete. Like, all those things we know, right? It's the fact that he threw four interceptions in the half, and it didn't affect him at all. He came out the second half, and he was balling, man. He throws four interceptions. So needs to get better, needs to get a lot more consistent, needs to get less volatile. But I think what you saw this year is the sign of what's to come for Trevor Lawrence. So I think he can be in that upper tier. I do. I think he has that much talent. He has the big improvements. And I think that he has the kind of personality where if things go wrong, he can get through it, right? That, yeah. I mean, I mean, dude, if he didn't show that in the playoff game, then you know, right. I mean, because well, I mean, look, one of the picks wasn't his fault. One of them was in a third tough third, but I mean, they they were two, three of the four picks were just bad balls. Yeah, I mean, just just not good balls. Even the one that was well, one was tipped. Yeah, because he stared down at the thing, the the target, and let the guy get his hand up and tip it. Right? I mean. Yeah. Not every tip passes. Oh, well, that's not really his fault. Some guys are just good. Some of them are good plays, but others are just like, yeah, it was tip ball because you saw the guy right there in your face with his hand up and you threw it right into his helmet or his hand. That's on you. Yeah. He played terrible. Got 27, nothing. And he just came out a second half. And I mean, he never changed. And this is how he was in college, right? He just never changed his expression. Yeah. He just kept playing. And, you know, does he have the ability to be a Mahomes or an Allen? They're such different players. Yeah. And those guys are they, so I much think they more just free. mean in that tier. No, I get that. I'm, I'm, yeah, I get that. I'm, I'm, I'm making a point about that. Like to me, at the end of the day, I still view guys like that in their own tier because they are less dependent upon the town around them. Where Trevor, mm-hmm. as a player, is still a little bit more dependent on what's around him because he is a pocket passer. Is what kind of what I'm getting to. I don't think. I mean, Trevor's a good athlete, but I don't think he can. He's not the same. Like I saw a pass that, that Josh Allen made in the in the in the game against the the Dolphins, where it's like he's running to his left, he's like mm-hmm. flicks the ball forty yards down the field on a rope, and I'm like, dude, what? Like yeah, Trevor Lawrence can't make different. that play. The only other quarterback in the league can make that play is, Josh, is Pat Mahomes, but it was off platform, it was off script, and I just don't know if Trevor has that part in it. Partly because the long release is part of it, you know. I, and so I think he's got a chance to be a really good quarterback from this talent level and then what I saw in the in the playoff game. But I, I, I don't know if I would say he has a chance to be on that tier just because I think the part of the reason those guys are on that tier is because of how well they play outside of the framework of the offense. And like that's part of what I thought made Aaron Rodgers great mm-hmm. is that he – Aaron Rodgers could sit back in the pocket and, and pick you apart, but he also could do a lot of stuff that was outside the – scope of the offense i don't trevor's got to show me that he can do that uh, you know in my opinion a little bit more but part of that too ryan is i would i think you would agree is they've got to continue building up the town around him mm-hmm. and and they've done a good job to, i mean they're getting there right 
but I think that's a part is, is I'd like to see them put a little bit more talent around him. Right. Yeah. Like he's I mean, got he some was... I mean, Christian Kirk's a nice player. Zay's a nice yeah. player, Eric flower, but none of them are Stefan Diggs or sure. Tyreek Hill or Travis Kelty, that kind of thing. For sure. And that's, that's all I would say is still a little up. bit more help there. Still a lot better his rookie year, though. That oh gosh, yes. Aaron, Aaron I mean, they've. I mean, Christian Kirk will have thousand yard year this year, right? And look, I think yeah. Christian Kirk's. Th- I'll be I'll be make this statement without having watched a single regular season game. You tell me if I'm right mm-hmm. or wrong. Mm-hmm. Was Christian Kirk's breakout season as much about who was playing his quarterback as about him changing his game? That's my prediction. You know, say, mm-hmm. well, yeah, he had a quarterback throwing him the ball in a system that was getting him the ball. I mean, yeah, he had yeah. thousand yards because he had Trevor Lawrence as a quarterback. It's kind of where I'm getting from. Yeah, you know, yeah, not I so much that all of a sudden degree. he was a better player than he had been. It just yeah. he had a pretty darn good quarterback and in the system. So, agree, agree. I really yeah. do love just the perseverance though from Lawrence. I really do because I mean you're talking about the playoff game, but last year as a rookie to be dug in the hole with Urban Meyer and the lack of talent around him, like that could kill some guys, yeah. man. Like that could kill David Carr. Did not David yeah. Carr. I mean, that's a perfect example. Yep. is had David Carr gone somewhere else besides Houston, I think his career turns out differently. I really do. Yeah. He got really sacked do. like 64 times as a rookie or and something got like hit that. a lot more than that. <laughs> yes. I mean, you, you you know, you get a little gun shy after a while, you yep. know? Yep. So here we go, Ryan. Here's um, here's one. Uh, Jordan Schreiber, which receivers have a legit shot at 1,000 yards receiving next year, Ryan? What would you say? Because we kind of talked about this the other day, right? Didn't we kind of say – I mean, it's really Colsey, Styles, or Merriweather. Yeah. yeah. But I don't think any I, of them will be a thousand yarders next year. Personally. I think the two big guys have a better chance just because, I mean, again, this is partly because of Sam Hartman. It's partly because of their style. They're going to take less catches to get to a thousand yards than maybe what a, what a Lorenzo Styles or a, Jaden Thomas would, right? Because they're more short to intermediate separators as far as how they win. They're more slot types. Those guys are going to win down the field a little bit more consistently. And I think that one thing that Sam Hartman did tremendously well at Wake Forest is he trusts his outside receivers and size outside at a very high level. Like the A.T. Perrys of the world, forget number 80s, name Banks, the, the sophomore this year that he also has. Well, Donovan Green's another guy that's more of an outside type. So they he trusts size outside. So I think that they'll get some volume this year as long as they're healthy and ready to go. And I also think that they're gonna they're gonna demand less catches to get to a thousand yards. But I agree. I don't know. If, I don't know if I would predict either one to be a thousand yard receiver this year. I just think in part not because I don't think any of them are capable of it. I just think it's the nature of what they are going to do offensively. It's just gonna spread be, the rounds. Yeah. 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 So it's gonna be a different animal. So we had a, another question over here, Ryan, that, that I want to get to. Here's a good one from Joseph Barrett. I haven't seen jo- Joseph. I haven't seen you uh, asking questions in a while. So good to see you. Uh, good to see you back asking questions. Joseph would like to know, Brian, what is your opinion on Minnesota defensive coordinator Joe Rossi? Would he be a good fit at Notre Dame? Should Al Golden head back to the NFL? Oh, well, look. I mean, Al Golden's going to do whatever he wants to do, and Marcus Freeman's going to do whatever he's going to do. Let's just say hypothetically that Al Golden went back to the NFL. Okay. What I look at Minnesota, this is Minnesota Gophers, the college Minnesota yes. is who he's talking about. I liked what I saw their defense this year. I, it was I do. Good. Yeah, it's been it was good really for a couple good. years. Yeah. Yes. I mean, it was, it was, I mean, statistically was significantly better than Wisconsin's this year. And everybody keeps talking about how good of a coach that, that Jim Leonard is, and he is, mm-hmm. but they had the best defense in the Big Ten this year. And 
I mean, the only team that was really close to, I mean, you talk from a scoring standpoint, I mean, Wisconsin was at, at 20.2, Minnesota was at 13.8, Illinois was at 12.8, and their head defensive coordinator just got a head coaching job. Illinois and was I, stupid good defensively yeah, this year. Yeah, but they were just a point better, you know, than Minnesota. And and here, here here's one difference is Illinois, I believe, only had to play Michigan, right? Where Minnesota had to play Michigan and Ohio State this year. Yeah. Uh, so, and we talked before the season, remember Ryan, we, we, when we talked about how Minnesota was a sneaky big 10 West team, they ended up not being that, but yeah. part of the reason was, man, their schedule was brutal yeah. and still only gave up 13.8 points per game. So I thought he did a great job. He's a Pittsburgh guy, which I like, uh, you know, their, their total defense was, they gave up less than 400 yards per game, which is pretty good. And I'll ask you this, Ryan, because you, you paid more attention to the personnel than I do. How many big time NFL players did Minnesota have on their defense this year? I I can't even think of anyone. I mean, they have the the middle linebacker number fifty five, whose name's escaping me. I think Sorry, he was in like Marin, a, the Marin. Yeah, kid. he he was in a low end, you know, all star game this year. I think he might have been in the Hula Bowl or something. Yeah. Like, yeah, they don't have anybody substantial. They actually lost a decent amount off the team last year. I mean, they had mm-hmm. the edge that went in the second or third round last year. His name's escaping me as well. He was a good football player. They had the other defensive end, number nine, a, a Toye or something, who got drafted late, and he was a freak show of an athlete. They lost Jack Gibbons, who made a, a, a made a team as a linebacker from that team as well. I mean, there's no Antoine Winfield Jr.'s yeah. on that defense this year. It's just yeah. don't have any. Now, here's the thing to consider. The caveat to this is, and this is what I've said about other Big Ten defenses, part of the reason the numbers are what they are is they're a little inflated or deflated by the fact there's just not a lot of good offenses in the Big Ten. How dare you insult Rutgers? How dare uh, you? So, I mean, you just have to you have to you have to look at that and be honest about that. So, you're going to say, "Hey, he's not coming to Notre Dame against the schedule. Notre Dame's going to play and holding teams at 13.8 points per game." Be nice, right? Though. It'd be it'd be great. I mean, he's going to have better players, but the schedule's ramped up. There's just too many good offenses on the field. Yeah. And so, to me, that's something you have to look at look at as well. Uh, you know, is is but but even if it's okay, 17 a game, that's really good. You know, and and that's a that's the caliber that can win you a championship. But he's a Notre Dame, and I've I've been told this by somebody. He's a guy that grew up a Notre Dame fan, so there's going to be that kind of love for them as well. But and he did it right without being a super disruptive defense. I mean, their tackle for loss numbers and sack numbers were awful. Yeah, they're just it's sound. just they were just sound and yeah. in great position and and just didn't make mistakes. Smart. And kids. so, like, if you yeah. watch the Michigan game, I mean, I remember watching that game thinking like. These guys, just, he just doesn't have players. Because I, I saw the box score, and I was like, man, that's like, okay. I thought this guy was doing a great job. But, man, you look at that, and you're like, yeah, but they, they got ripped up a little bit. Yep. And then you go back and you watch the game, and you're like, oh, okay. That makes a little bit more sense now because you watch, and you're like, they just – like you mentioned, remember who – it wasn't just Winfield. They had like two or three guys in the secondary, Ryan, a couple of years ago that were like really good college football players. Yeah. And you're like, man, like, boy, these 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 guys are these guys are like NFL players. That that was not the case this year. No, it really was not the case this year. No. But um, actually, I, I was wrong. Minnesota didn't play Michigan or Ohio State. It was Penn State who ripped them up. Excuse me. But God. it was the same thing. I just watched them play, and I'm like, you know, you're just watching Parker Washington just outplay dudes for the football, and you're just like, man, they just they can't compete athlete wise in this game. They just can't. Parker and Washington's a very underrated football player, by very. the way. He's, he's going pro, player. right? 
See, did, did, did he go pro? He, I think I he think may he, went back. I, I might be wrong. He, yeah, I think he's going pro. So gotcha. I'm actually look at that. Uh, I thought he declared. He may have. So I, I could be. I could be wrong. So he had declared for the draft in December. So unless he announced he's coming back, but he declared in this in December. Because did he play in the bowl game? Not sure. Yeah, I don't. I don't think he might have. I don't think he played in the bowl game though. I, I could be wrong on that because I was watching it, but it was kind of like watching it as I was doing other things. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily remember his name being called, but I don't think he played in the bowl game. Yes, he either he got shut out, Ryan, and didn't catch a pass, which is not happening to Parker Washington, or he didn't play in that game. So, yeah, Keandre Lambert-Smith was a their leading receiver in that game. So. I heard he's a pretty good player, too. I haven't seen him. He's athletic. He's up and down. But when he's on, yeah. he's pretty good. He's a, he's a, I mean, he's from the 757, so you know he's athletic and can play. Sure, But sure. it's just consistency. I think he's going to really flourish if Drew Allen – because he, he's a kid that I think can really stretch the field and, and do some things. Mm-hmm. And and to me, a quarterback with a little bit bigger arm will, will make him a little bit more effective, in my opinion. Yep. Mark A1S says, thank you for the Super Chat, Mark. He says, any news on how Hartman fitting in with the Narnia players? Mark, they arrived Tuesday. Yeah. So, like, he hasn't even finished a week yet. So, uh, I don't mind answering this question. And it's a very important question. A very important question. We talked a lot about this in the show on, was it Tuesday? We talked about quarterback play. How he fits in with the players is important, Mark. So, I'm not poo-pooing your question at all. It's a very important question. But at the I don't care how he's fitting in after four days. If it's great, well, okay, it's four days. If it's not great, it's four days. So I think when we kind of get through the end of spring, I think it will tell us a little bit better gauge on on just how well he's fitting in, in my opinion. But um, but yeah, so that's a a good question, but just too early. Yeah, I said very important question, Mark, but just the timing is is way too soon. To, yeah. to ask it so just as close us- as closer to spring ball yeah right? I, I would say honest. honestly the end is probably the the best time because let them go through the the sort of the the grind of spring ball and coming yeah. out of that but yeah even going into spring ball if, if he's already kind of started to get the room on his you know to trust him that's a positive sign and then if he comes out of it with that being even stronger that's a great sign but yeah, yeah, let's let's get let's get them through about a month of of morning workouts together <laughs> and things and some seven on sevens before we before we get to that point in time. Here's the one from Crazy Like I love this name. Crazy, Crazy Like a Fosky. I love that name. All right. From Crazy Like a Fosky. It seems like the O-line especially struggled in the first two games and the first half of the bowl game. Is there something about Buckner's style of play that makes it harder on the O-line? Well, in two of those three games, there was a long period of time where they were off. Yes. Uh, number one. Number two, I don't think the offensive line struggled in the first half of the bowl game. I don't think they struggled. I think sometimes people look to a lack of success as the line struggling. Go watch the game. South Carolina was saying, you're going to, we're not going to let you run the ball on us. You're going to have to beat us on the football. And you know, they didn't play a great first half, but they didn't struggle there. There's a happy medium that they, they were solid in the first half. Not great, not bad, not, not, you know, they were, they were solid. I didn't think they struggled. So I don't think it had anything to do with Tyler Buckner. I think it had to do Mm -hmm. with yet and played in a month. And they were throwing a lot at you schematically. So, for example, they didn't play as bad in any of those games as they played in the second half against Navy. So what what was it about Drew Pine that made that an issue? It's not. It's just they didn't play well. So And, and that's not what he's saying. I think it's a fair question. He's yeah. not saying, what is it about Buckner's? Is, is there something? 
I think where Buckner's playing style could hinder the line's performance is they will tend to give up more sacks with him at quarterback because he'll hold the ball longer at times because he's a playmaker. Hey, hold it where Drew may check it down or take off running. He's going to try to run and get out of problems that maybe another quarterback will just get rid of the ball quickly or whatever that leads to more sacks. But it's not necessarily the line giving up more sacks per se. Right. It'd just be more sacks happening because it's out of play. But I don't think Notre Dame's issues in either of those first two games were about Tyler Buckner. They were more about first couple games in the new with the new coach, with guys in new positions, and your veteran captain did not play the first game and was clearly limited in the second game physically. It wasn't the same player. I think it had more to do with that. But they yeah. quickly got going in this in the bowl game. I mean, like you said, second half, I mean, they're down 21 to seven by the end of the first quarter. Mm-hmm. And then they outscored uh South Carolina, what, 10 to three in yeah. the second quarter? Because like 24 7 going 17 going into halftime. And then of course dominate the second half. So I think it had a lot more to do with just kind of normal getting caught up and, in the flow of the game. And I would also say in that bowl game too, I mean, your defense wasn't playing very well in the first half either, right? right. So you were the offense wasn't on the field like a ton, a ton, right? Earlier in that football game. So I think there's context to everything. And they did have a really nice drive. Um you know, kind of going into that, that first scoring drive, you know what I mean? So no doubt. And I think another thing too, Brian, on top of just the, that, you know, maybe Tyler will hold the ball a little bit more because he's a little more of that magic man, I guess, against chaos. It's also the fact of he's also going to throw the ball more than Drew Pine is going to throw the ball. Yeah. Right. So just a volume perspective as well. More opportunities. Agree. Agree. So let's get to this next question here. We have a super chat from Brock Fonville. Here we Brock go. Fonville. Great name, by the way. How do you guys predict Marcus will handle this season? And do you guys think it is possible to go 12-0 with CJ out, USC's poor defense, and Clemson a little down? Hmm. I mean, I guess my question would be, what do you mean by handle this season? Like, are we saying... Like handling the players, handling the stress. Like I, I think well, that's it's, that's my it's almost kind of like you're saying, like, well, the three good teams on the schedule aren't that good anyway. Right. I strongly disagree with that. Look, this is how good teams are. Sometimes you're not as good on one side of the ball because you lose a CJ Stroud, right? But they're going to be a lot better on defense next year, in my opinion. They're going to be better running the ball next year, in my opinion, because Travion Henderson and Mine Williams won't be banged up like most likely won't be banged up like they were this year. You get two, the best one-two punch. and Look, the best one-two punch and receiver is not at USC next year. It's in Columbus Oh, easy. You know, with Emeka and, and Marvin Harrison. So uh, they're going to be fine, right? They're still going to be just as good as they were last year. They're just going to be different, just like Georgia. Georgia was not as good on defense this year as they were last year. They had to win some shootouts. They had to win some games because of their offense. They, But they were still – every bit as good of a team because they went on. I mean, look, the, the great team that everybody said last year, oh, this is one of the best teams ever and blah, blah, blah. Well, that great defense, one of the greatest defense ever just got annihilated in the, you know, the, the SEC semifinal against, uh, against uh, Alabama. Right. So, you know, I, I just, I kind of look at it, Ryan, and I say, Hey, I don't know if um, uh, they're going to be different. Right, yes. so they're going to be very good. USC is going to have a poor defense. They had a poor defense last year. Notre Dame and they got Notre Dame lost by eleven. I don't right. think their defense is going to be worse next year than it was this year. It's going to be maybe just as bad. 
And I don't know if Clemson's going to be worse next year than they are this year. I think they're going to not be as good on defense because they're going to lose a lot, but I think they're going to be better on offense because they have a, a lot quarterback. of quarterback. Yeah, and, and a better yeah. OC. So I think they're all going to be still be very good. Uh, how do I think he's going to handle the season? Honestly, Brock, it's a little too early for me to see that. I got to see how some things go in spring ball. How does Sam Hartman take to the team and all that kind of stuff? I think all that kind of stuff is important uh, to me before I'm ready to start having a prediction. I think how he's going to handle it, I think they're going to be poised. They're going to be ready to play. Uh, they're yeah. going to be coached well. They're going to play hard. Um, will they be good enough to win all those games? Two of those games? One of those games? That I don't know. Right. It, it's. I think they're capable of winning all of them. won't be mm-hmm. easy. They're certainly capable of it. Um, but – you know, I, I think those teams are. I don't think those teams are necessarily going to be down the way that that um, that people think, in my opinion, right. Ryan. So yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I mean, I yeah. think Clemson Clemson is going to be an interesting one, man. They're going to be an interesting yeah. one because again, I, yes, the defense takes a slight step back. Is it going to be a massive one? I mean, we'll see. We'll see what happens there. But yeah. I think their offense is going to be substantially better from the get. Right? Like I think Garrett yeah. Riley coming in. Having a, a quarterback that probably fit, fits what you want to do a little bit better is going to be massive. And they didn't lose a ton. I mean, you lose Jordan McFadden, but you still have Marcus Tate coming back. You still have the right tackle Miller, who I know did pretty well as a freshman. You have the receivers. You have Will Shipley coming back. You have both tight ends. Like, there's some guys coming back on clubs and offensive. Yeah. I think they'll take a massive step forward. And again, like Ohio State, you thought that they were going to take a step back after losing Justin Fields, and then they C.J. Stroud right. comes in, and he's still very good, right, obviously. Right. So I think those teams will be good teams. I do think they will. Yeah, I think they'll be very good teams. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, let's get to a couple more, Ryan, because we got to we gotta get out of here pretty soon. I just want to get to a couple more questions. Mm-hmm. Um let me see here real quick. I got that crazy like a Foskey one. Here's the one from JP Bulesville. Do you get do you get to enjoy what you have created with Irish Breakdown or can it be very stressful with so many people depending on you for time, sensitive information every single day, all day? Is it stressful? Yeah. I mean, Ryan will tell you, I do a lot of stuff every day that has nothing to do with producing content and it gets it gets hectic, but I enjoy this job every single day. Number one, I work with great people. I, the staff that we have here, Ryan, Sean, Vince, Sean Styers, uh, you know, all the contributors that we have, the new guys for CFB All America, John Garcia, I have a great team. I love the community here. This is partly why we do shows every day because it's fun to engage with so many of you. And you get the people in here that, that, that aren't any fun, but so most, the like 99% of the people in this chat, Ryan, are just good people that we enjoy talking to. Like, I feel like I know Tommy Guns, like he's a family member. Like, I've met the dude once. You know what I mean? Because he's just he's we're, we spend every day together. It's just in a different true. format now. So That's very true. Uh, I I love it. I I do, and and it's why the long hours and stuff like that doesn't completely break me because it's fun, and you know it's a it's a great group of people. So you all are why it's fun, JP. Honestly, it's just that what's the one thing I can count on every day, Ryan? Hundreds of people showing up on our shows to hang out with us and talk football and stuff. For real. I mean, yeah, I love it. I love it. And look, there's people that are driving trucks and away from their families. Tom, Tommy spends a lot of time away from his family because he drives a semi truck so that we can have the, our goods and our things like that. Like that's the people that, you know, have jobs that are tough that people should be asking if they can enjoy their jobs. And, you know, because yeah. they're the ones doing the hard work. I get to sit here at a computer and talk football. 
right? <laughs> is it stressful? Is it busy? Sure it is, but I love it. I love what I do because I love the people I do it with, not just the people that work for me and work with me, because all you are. And I'm, I'm Ryan, I'll tell you, I'm, I mean, I get pissed off at fans sometimes to say some dumb things, but there's also a lot of, a lot of awesome people. Most people are yes. really awesome. And that's why we do this every day. So no doubt. Right, I'll get, I'll get one here right here for you real quick, definitely yeah. before we, we leave. And then there's a, sure. a, a couple super chats that we'll finish up with, but here's one just real quick. Cause I know you have an answer to this. Bill Walsh says, I saw that Notre Dame offered Daniel Freitag. Is he planning to play football or basketball? Yeah. For people that don't know too much about Daniel, he is a wide receiver out of the state of Minnesota who was just offered by Notre Dame today uh, for a football scholarship. So I, Bill, I actually talked to him a couple days ago because we knew that he was, they were going to go visit him obviously. And he is, for people that don't know, he's a top 100 recruit in the 2024 class for the bas- for on bas- for basketball. And he is a player that is averaging over 30 points a game this year, including just coming off a 40-something point game in his most recent game. Yes, the he is very open to playing both in college, right? I think that there might be some situations where he might just play football. Like, honestly, I, I kind of got that vibe from him, but I thought I'd ask them, like, are you playing on doing both? Is this a one, a one sport kind of decision? And he said, no, I'm, I'm open to playing both. I'm open to playing both, but I think that he does, you know, and again, this is a brief conversation, but I think that he really does like football a lot. Like, I don't think this is a basketball player. That's also going to play football on the side, right? Like this is a, Dynamite athletes, really talented wide receiver, 6'1", 6'2", 175 pounds, athletic, explosive kid who is planning on potentially playing both at the next level. So, yes, he is open to both opportunities. Yep. Then uh, last one here real quick, Ryan, before we get out of here. There's a ton of great questions we couldn't get to, but we got to get running. See, Ryan made the promise that, hey, we're going to be here as long as you guys want, and then he's the one that has to leave, right? Don't you hate that sorry, man. You need to blame Juliet. From Jason Rose. Uh, hey, guys, uh, how would you rank the running back duos between Blake Corman, Donovan Edwards, mm-hmm. Nicholas Singleton, and I can't I can't remember how to pronounce K- that. Katron. K- Katron. And then uh, Estime and Logan Diggs and Audric Estime. How would you rank those duos? See, here's the thing. Notre Dame, if you just look at their top two, does not have the best running back room in the country. What mm-hmm. I have said that makes them so good is that they go way beyond two. Three, four, five, right? six. Because those teams <laughs> only use two. Penn State yeah. only uses two. Notre Dame uses three, yeah, and their third back produces like total yards. I believe Notre Dame's trio produced more than Penn State's top trio. Right now, I think you have to give the edge based on twenty twenty two to the Michigan duo because Blake Corm was the best player this year of that group. Mm-hmm. I think next year the best player of this group will be Singleton. Yes, I still think the best one two punch in my opinion is Logan Diggs and Audrey Estime. And um, our guy Archer Ryan was trying to get the Ohio state conversation, maybe, and he was using uh, Logan Diggs 5.0 yards per carry. What would Logan Diggs' yard per carry be if he had CJ Stroud in that receiving core protecting him? Come on, bro. Right. Let's be real about this. Okay. So, uh, you know, but Ohio states, if they're healthy, will be in that conversation next year as well. There's no doubt. Yeah. If Travion Henderson and, and mine was both healthy next year, they're in the conversation as well. But this trio as far yeah. the, the duo, I I'd say based on 2022, it's Corman Edwards projecting into 2023 i think that comes down to the penn state duo and the notre dame duo it is is to me is is every bit as good as the michigan duo in my opinion yeah. so especially i mean if you're projecting the 2023 as well i mean blake quorum's coming off an injury too right? right so like you know how i mean i would assume that he'd be good to go but we'll see what happens 
This is a tough one, though, Brian, honestly, for me, because these are so different styles of duos, man. It's like yeah. you have Aldrich Esme at 230, Logan Diggs, the small guy at 214 pounds, right? It's like those are two big backs. Singleton's a big kid. Katron Allen is like 200 pounds. He's not the biggest kid. And then Coram and Edwards are – I mean, Coram's stoutly built. Like he's got a thick lower half, but like those guys are both around 200 pounds. Like they're not big right. guys at all. You know what I mean? I mean, right. so – it's a little tough for me. A little tough. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the, the reality is all three of those teams are going to have really dynamic duos next year, as will Ohio State's. And it's kind of like pick your style. It also factors in too, right? Which style of play do you like best? Because they're, they're kind of different. I think the Penn State-Notre Dame duo are a lot more similar to each other than either of them are with the Michigan duo, which is more slashers and make you miss kind of guys. So, uh, And I think the Ohio State duo has a lot to do. It's very similar to that group as well. But what makes Notre Dame's backfield so good is that you can't stop at two. Uh, that's the that's the problem. So Chris Tyree, right? Jadarian yeah. Price, Jeremiah Love, Jabron yeah. Payne. Like it's it's a deep room, man. Yeah. I told my one scouting buddy today, Brian, because he loves Audrey Gestime already. And I was like, hey man, Jabron Payne didn't get hurt. He might be the guy that you're talking about right now, you know, as far as like the lead. You mean Jadarian Price? Jadarian Price is what I meant. Yeah. Yes. Jadarian Price didn't get hurt. He might be the guy where you're like, oh man, who's that yeah. freshman for Notre Dame? You yeah. know, so exactly. Exactly. And last one here, we had a super chat from Charlie Weiss's last belt loop. I, I don't know what to say here, Charlie. I heard Lyle Alzado was one of the toughest guys walking the planet in his prime. Steroids helped including stories of him kicking the Barbarian Brothers' butts at Gold's Gym in Venice. Thoughts? I was born in 91 before my – that's a little bit before my time as well. Like, he I, was I know, great. I know. Like, yeah. They, uh, they had they had a bunch of those dudes back, man. They had like the um, – was it John John Banasak was a big defensive end back then okay. too, right? That was just like a bad dude. I know Lyle Zeta was a bad dude. But to your point, Lyle Zeta was roided out of his mind, right? Yeah. And obviously it had some long-term repercussions as well. Right. So right. I remember yeah. him more for his acting than I do him as a football player, just yeah. as far as me. And I know he played against the Broncos teams I rooted for, but that's a little bit before I was old enough to remember the other team, yeah. you know, so it's a little bit before my time. But uh, Well, who's who would you say is the baddest dude that you can remember, recall, like legitimately? The baddest dude, meaning like yeah. just the the most dominant. I mean, dude Reggie that you White. wouldn't mess with. Dude it's Reggie White or Lawrence Taylor. I mean, one yeah. of those two. I mean, pick yeah. one. It, they're one. different players, but Reggie was just a power player. Lawrence was the most explosive edge player I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, um, and that's all due respect to Derek Thomas and guys like that. He was the most. He had the best first step I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. And then the most, the guy with the strongest defensive lineman I've ever seen in my life was Reggie White. I mean, that was mm-hmm. just a. I mean, his his slap. I mean, he could just take a three hundred twenty pound offensive lineman and just. Phew, throw I know, him. man. I know. He was because un- he was not a super explosive athlete, Ryan. It's, you know, it's one of the was, best highlights of all time is yeah. him in the Super Bowl against the Patriots, where literally just did the hump move on that one dude and yeah. just like threw him. I'm like, that guy's throwing <laughs> yep. pounds, man. Like, yep. It's wild. Yep. Yep. No, and that was to me the golden age of edge rushers. That that eighties to early nineties when you had like the Bruce Smiths and. You know, Neil Smith's and Derek Thomas's and Mark Gassino for a time was was in there. And I mean, there was Howie Long. There there were so many great edge rushers back then uh, that it was just it was the golden age of pass rushers in my and it was also the, to me the golden age of quarterback play as well. I mean, there was like 20 really good quarterbacks in the NFL back then. So to where a guy like Ken O'Brien is a top 10 NFL quarterback now. I mean, that's how bad quarterback plays in the NFL beyond the top group where back then he, nobody talked about Ken O'Brien. Chris Dolman's another one. Chris, the, the Vikings had two. It was Chris Dolman and then 
what was the other guy's name? The the Keith Millard was another yeah. one. John Randall came along a little bit later after that. But man, that was the, Chris Dolman was a freak. Man, oh my he was gosh, massive he was. for the position he played. He was oh, huge. he was so good. Yeah. There was, I mean, and we're not, we're leaving a lot of guys out. There were so many good yeah. edge rushers back then. And, you know, it just, just really, it, we already talked about Reggie White, but I mean, the whole Eagles defensive line back then was disgusting. Jerome, Jerome Brown, oh, Clyde Simmons. It, it, yeah. Mike yeah. Pitts, wasn't Mike Pitts one of those guys as well? Like one of the yeah. interior guys. I mean, Clyde Simmons was a beast. Jerome Brown, had he not passed away, was a star. Pat Swilling, somebody, John Randall was a little bit later, but, but Pat Swilling was a, uh, that, that Vike, that Saints, out, you know, linebacking core because mm-hmm. Pat Swilling was technically a linebacker, but it was that three four Vaughn like Johnson, Sam oh, Mills. Man. Just yeah. a great um, who was the other one? Uh um, Vaughn Dunbar. No, it wasn't Vaughn. It was uh no, it was uh, um Vaughn Johnson was one, Pat Swilling, Sam Mills, and Ricky Jackson. Ricky Jackson, that was the other outside yeah. guy, I believe. Yes, 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 yep. yes. Yeah, those they were called the Dome Patrol. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they were yeah they were really really good yeah Ricky Jackson and Pat Swilling were the outside guys so it was, it's just it was a golden age of edge rushers because you had to be because it was the golden age of quarterbacks I mean it, they they you needed that because of the other you know cyclical so, cyclical yeah. world Redskins yep. had Charles Mann and Dexter Manley I mean we could go we could spend all day but Ryan's got to go we could literally spend all day talking about how many great pass rushers there was in that eighties ninety era you know it was really phenomenal it was it was really good so just some of the all-time all-time great so anyway everybody that's going to do it for today's show thank you all so much for being with us uh we'll we'll try to start doing some of these friday shows we're even thinking about maybe moving it up a little bit to noon so we can have maybe a little bit more time it's just questions but we'll, we'll see how it goes but so many great questions and i'm sorry that we couldn't get to the ones that we uh that, that were on there that we couldn't get into appreciate y'all so much we'll be back tomorrow for our rtcf show uh, Sean Davis and I, and of course, uh, next week we're going to have another jam packed bit of, bit of, uh, shows and news and articles and all that. So make sure you're staying up with us folks at irishbreakdown.com. Also the message board, the boards on irishbreakdown.com. And of always say it's like subscribe, hit the notification bell, share this podcast, give us a five-star review, check out our CFB nation channel as well. Love y'all. Thank y'all so much. We'll talk to you again very, very soon on the Irish breakdown podcast. <laughs> The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing. 
But you know better, and your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.